In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death, Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Amen. Amen. Brethren Christ, Laudato Jesus Christus. In secula. This is Timothy Flanders with the meaning of Catholic. Jesus is King. Welcome to your Monday Morning Man Show, Our Lady of Victory, with co-host Fowler, Paleocrat, and Cavazos, the traditional Thomist. Fowler's back with us. Fowler, mm. did you get your voice back? It's back. It's back, thankfully. It just Excellent. I wasn't sick. It was just I couldn't woke up, and I was like, hey, I can't really talk. That's not good. <laughs> Teaching was interesting. Teaching 13- and 14-year-old boys when you can't yell over them. Ooh. Did you use one of those things, one of those yeah. devices like this? I, Jake's oh, like, yeah. welcome, I'm Fowler. Are you doing that? Yeah. No, I didn't I didn't think of that. But I yeah, did write yeah. on the board, um, lost voice, can't yell over you, sit down, be quiet. And it worked. Really? Hey, yeah. yeah. Hey, and then, so I, I, I just kind of whispered. I know. I, I was impressed. Wow. Wow. I did not think that that was going to work. But they, they said, oh, guys, look what he's writing, as if it was like some magic message or something. And then, oh... Are you okay, Mr. Fowler? I'm like, yeah, I'm fine. Just sit down and, and here's your assignment. And then that, <laughs> that was it. Wow. So, so I, I, I got to ask, uh, Mr. Fowler, do you, are you, because, you know, on this show, you're, you're quite subdued and, uh, you know, uh, phlegmatic, if you will. But are you, hmm. do you get more animated in the classroom with, when you're dealing with these rambunctious middle schoolers? How, how do you, how do you, I mean, yell over them? Tell us about your teacher mannerism. Well, it's certainly more animated. Yeah, that's for sure. And if um, astute viewers will remember that I used to be a policeman, so I do have quite a loud yelling voice. Um, I don't get too wild and crazy like a certain someone on the screen below me. However, what? What? Um, yeah, no, that, nobody saw that. <laughs> it never happened. But I, I am... Uh, I told them at the beginning of the year, I don't, I don't know, I'd have to take a poll to see how I'm, I'm doing on this, but I, I told them at the beginning of the year that it's my goal to make the church history class so exciting they don't even feel tempted to look at their phones. So I think so far so good, um, because few of them uh, kind of just space out or, or choose not to pay attention out of about 100 kids, um, and not 100 at once, of course, but... So I, I think it's going well, and I am much more uh, lively, if you will, in person. Um, but yeah, it's, um, it's, you know, it's early. It's early here in, in real time. So I kind of have to just chill and offer my opinions with, a, with um, a measure of what appears to be wisdom, what masquerades as wisdom. So. Well, I, I certainly... Uh... It would certainly be a sight to see to see uh, policeman Fowler uh, yelling over thirteen-year-old boys, getting them to calm down. But uh, yeah, I shame them publicly. You have to. Yeah. It's Why like are you pop. touching him? And put your shoe back on. <laughs> Why is it? You know. It's like, yeah. It's just stuff that you wouldn't maybe expect out of fourteen-year-olds, but. It seems like when I was um, 
when I was substitute teaching, there was like the, the elementary school kids, which is where you're like really you're super animated and they're always love it. They're like, wow, this this is so exciting. The elementary school kids and then the middle school kids is like uh, you kind of just like make fun of them. At least that's what I did. I, I just like laugh at them because they're they think they're awesome but then if you if you like make fun of the you know the ringleader then, then everybody laughs at him because they're you know they're very groupish very group mentality going with the group but then the high schoolers are like they don't even care they're just like whatever I don't, I don't care whatever you have to say whatever so you just don't even try to uh get their attention i would always focus one-on-one -on -one with with the with high schools you talk with a high schooler one-on-one -on -one, they actually give you your attention everybody mm -hmm. else doesn't doesn't attach but uh, I don't know. What do you think about that, Father? No, I think that's actually pretty spot on. Um, half of my day, well, not half, but, you know, rhetorically speaking, half of my day is spent thinking, how am I going to troll these guys? <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, I've got the material. I've got my lesson plan. Okay, what what weakness am I going to expose? You know, I keep telling them, I'm like, oh, did you get a haircut? Yeah. I said, man, I cannot wait for good looking haircuts to come back in style. And then they stop and they're like, wait, what? So, yeah, I mess with them about their sports teams um, because I don't, I don't always really follow sports. I don't care that much. Um, not that I don't like it, just no time. So I, I kind of tease them about their teams when they lose, even though it's not a big deal. Uh, you know, their, their general disheveled look when they come into the building. Um, it's just... It's hilarious for one, and I looks think like, you're, you're spot like, uh, on. Looks like Father John Brown, our oh, our real Father Jesuit. Brown. He's a Jesuit. He's a real Jesuit. He goes Always to a trying real to one -up Catholic us, huh? school where they don't allow <laughs> they don't allow uh, these these um, devil machines called smartphones. Well, so Father... what's wrong with what's wrong with uh, Blessed Shan Bell? <laughs> what y'all? Why y'all allow phones on? in the building? Uh, you know, that's uh, above my pay grade. That's true. So, it's true. It's, yeah, it's not your yeah, fault. That's yeah, true. Yeah. Blame <laughs> so, your principal. Yeah. Uh, Father Brown, reach out to me. Let me ask about your policies. Maybe we can make some changes here in San Luis. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I know the um, our, our parish school, so so they don't allow phones. They not only not allow folds, they had they sent a, a questionnaire back to the parents and said, do you guys have phones in your house? Because we need to be aware of that because it's affecting our, our kids so much that they can't do their schoolwork and like we want oh, wow. we want the parents to have a technology policy at home uh which i i commend them for that i was i was glad <laughs> glad because uh uh the smartphones the devil anyways let's get on to the show i'm really excited because it's it's the 24th and last sunday after pentecost it's the epic sunday which precedes the epic sunday i don't know if you if anybody's ever noticed on uh, last Sunday after Pentecost, the gospel reads leads it leads precisely into the first Sunday of Advent. Um, it's it's the the Sunday of the final uh, the the gospel is of the of the second coming, and then the very next Sunday, the first Sunday of Advent, continues that exact same theme. So it leads us right into the theme of the four last things, and and. Um, I, I don't usually promote stuff uh, with 1 Peter 5 here, but um, Cavazos is actually coming out with a series on Gary Goulagrange at 1 Peter 5. So it'll be on the four last things through Father Reginald Gary Goulagrange. So check out that next week, first week after Pentecost. I, I want to just commend Michaela Harrison 
because she does a great job with rainbows. She does a great job taking back the rainbow. And this is just another example in her art uh, where the second coming and Christ is seated in a rainbow. It's beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. Today is the great feast of the presentation of the Theotokos, one of the 12 major feasts in the Greek rite, uh, a lesser feast in, in uh, the West. It's only a third-class feast uh, under in the 1962 Missal, which is a shame. But tomorrow, St. Cecilia, we have St. Clement. And then on American Thanksgiving, St. John of the Cross. And, oh, uh, St. Catherine of Alexandria, very, uh, also a very interesting saint because she was removed... She was initially removed from the 1969 Novus Ordo, uh, typical edition, because uh, there were a number of saints removed because they were too controversial or too uh, not historically grounded. One of them was St. Catherine of Alexandria, <clears throat> who was a philosopher in the in I think it was under Diocletian. She was a philosopher who was disputing with the pagan philosophers and she died a glorious martyr's death. But to his credit, St. John Paul II Put her back in the Nova Soto. So now she's back in the the, the later edition of the Nova Soto. Uh, so that's that's a great uh, credit to him, which is brings up the, the continued series of St. John Paul II and St. Marcel, the moderate question mark. And our latest edition is part three. John Paul II was not a phenomenologist. This is a common misconception. We're talking, we're digging deep into all this. Um, we just did part three, which is more of uh, introduction to Western philosophical issues. And this one will definitely rile some feathers because we'll talk about the limits, the limits of Thomism and why phenomenology, uh -oh. Uh -oh. there's actually a good thing coming out of phenomenology, but why John Paul II was actually not a phenomenologist. In fact, Dietrich von Hildebrand was far more of a phenomenologist than John Paul II. Uh, John Paul II wrote a dissertation on phenomenology, which was actually negative. It came to a negative conclusion about phenomenology, believe it or not. So we'll talk all about that to access those shows. Got to go to patreon.com slash meaning of Catholic, or you can donate meaning of Catholic.com slash donate. Somebody had, somebody was it follower. Somebody had a comment when I was going through all that promo work, John Paul too. No. Okay. No, well, I, I, think somebody, I think I made a, a grunting noise. Yeah, he chuckled <laughs> I when, uh, about uh, the I, I was waiting, of the great yeah. saint Marcel Lefebvre. Is that well, what you I, I, was look, I was looking for the square, Thomism. well, both of them. I was looking for square quotes, uh, square quotes around, yeah, square quotes, scare quotes around Saint Marcel Lefebvre. Um, but I was kind of laughing because you, you know, people sometimes give you flack, right, or give the give the channel flack. Uh, but I kind of look at it and say. It's funny because you say things that rile even the guys on this show up. <laughs> like, you say things sometimes we're all kind of like, <laughs> and so but it's great though, man. It's like getting to talk about it, saying the limits of Thomism that might that might rile up old Nicholas over there. Little eatsers depends on what comes out, depends on what's said, and so I think it's to our I think it's to the credit, man, of of the group, and I think it's awesome. But I just I was just a chuckle. <laughs> it was nothing more than <laughs> oh, okay, that. Okay. Just a chuckle. Right on, right on. Yeah, yeah. Excellent. So uh, let's get to our topic, which is uh, against wokeism, part three, led by Cavazos. Part three is entitled "Schools of Insanity." So, what's, did you uh, want, did you want me to do it this time, Nick? Yeah, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter either way. Yeah, I was going to turn it over to Paleocrat this morning because actually yeah. he's more of the expert in this specific area that we're going to talk about this morning. Well, oh, sweet. 
I wouldn't say that. I've just had a lot of experience with it, you know, and I, I've dealt with it a lot over the years, not just because of uh, the ideas that I've had and the mediums that I've used to talk about it, but my education, right? Being in journalism, you find yourself going to, you know, a small liberal arts college and you find yourself neck deep in humanities and everything else. And it's dominated by grievance studies. And so uh, when talking about grievance studies, one of the things that uh, I wanted to bring up first, let me scroll so I can get it, talking about like, what is it exactly? And so I want to just, it's not going to be a full blown presentation. It's not going to go on forever. It just gives basic ideas about what we're talking about. And I think some of this is stuff that most of us here and most of the listeners are going to be familiar with anyway. You know, I'll give 15 subdomains of thought and grievance studies. This is uh, done by the guys over at New Discourse. I mentioned them last time. Uh, I think that they're fantastic. But it says, "Do you, 15, want, do you want me to put anything on the screen? You can put uh, it there on the bottom." No, that oh, okay. I don't. I don't have anything. Okay, I, I, I have notes up. Okay, so the uh, with fifteen subdivisions, subdomains. These are are uh, groups or subdomains that they submitted material to in their one year immersive exploration to attempt to understand certain fields as outsiders from within and they wanted to test the scholarship so they made up these super phony uh um scientific studies <laughs> very very phony and and they they included things like uh feminist gender studies masculinity studies queer studies sexuality studies psychoanalysis critical race theory critical whiteness theory fat studies sociology and educational philosophy uh, featured radically skeptical and standpoint epistemologies rooted in postmodernism, feminist and critical race epistemology rooted in critical social constructivism, as well as psychoanalysis. And so you have a lot of these studies, right? Where what, what was you, all that? Yeah. <laughs> well, it's gobbledygook. Um, it is gobbledygook. Yeah, it's, it's gobbledygook. But it's it's saying like, okay, so for example, masculinity studies, right? Talking about toxic masculinity i mean they people like us dudes on this show <laughs> are are definitely in the crosshairs for people like that um gender studies people who are out there peddling the idea that um there's no such thing you know the binary we got to get rid of it it's all fluid and junk that kind of thing your queer studies which is a strange overlap strangely enough and a lot of this is because it is rooted in the same underlying philosophy uh, things like sexuality studies, again, gender studies, sexuality studies, you've got your feminist studies as well as your masculinity studies. And it's like, it all kind of sounds the same, actually. Um, critical whiteness theory. Okay. So talking about how, how power and prejudice affects uh, uh, society institutionally, where you get phrases like institutional racism, things like that. And so a lot of the lingo, um, a lot of the language that people use, even, even, and you can use this language in a way that is not catchword, messed up, gobbledygook. Saying, like, for example, um, uh, uh, encountering the other. Like, there is a sense of otherness to your group. If we talk about bubbles, then people outside of those bubbles are other. There's an otherness to them. And encountering them means dealing with them, having dialogue with them. But that phrase, right, encountering the other, right, going to going to the fringe, going to the edge, that kind of thing. A lot of times um, there's a very specific idea for what that means. So it's not just, I mean, we could say that about anything. You could say encounter the other. Well, that means go talk to somebody who goes to the Latin mass. And I say somebody doesn't. And they say, well, the other would be somebody in Latin mass. And they're like, ah, I'm not really talking about that. 
talking about dudes that say they're chicks. <laughs> like, you're like, oh, I, I, I didn't know. <laughs> I had no clue. So that's kind of what this is. So there's a certain lingo and a lexicon that goes with this. And these people, uh, these three individuals, uh, wanted to figure out, um, to, to get inside of it as an outsider, to understand how it operates. What are the expectations? You know, what, what are they, what do they want from submissions? And what, and what qualifies as academic? What's rigorous to them that they're like, oh man, this is hot. We're publishing this bad boy. And what they did, they, it was about a year long that they did this within the humanities, reaching into sociology, psychology, and perhaps most worryingly education. Uh, they were saying that uh, careful academics would refer to it as critical constructivism or blank slatism because of the scholars are radical constructivists. Um, and it says, but they prefer to call it grievance studies because many of the fields refer to themselves as, quote, something studies. <laughs> so you just drop in whatever. Wait, it's like, wait, is it literally something? Do they have the word something? They have the word in brackets. It's bracketed. So something studies, right? Like <laughs> they're like, it doesn't matter what it is. Like you can, you know, it's whatever the catch thing is for what's going on. Your fluidity studies, yeah, yeah. it doesn't matter. Uh, they operate primarily by focusing upon and inflaming the grievances of certain identity groups. And so they, they want to really, really poke and prod that kind of thing to aggravate it immensely, <laughs> irritate and agitate. Uh, this sort of thing, because it's part of the process. It's part of the healing process. Um, and so as the studies developed, we came to see the project as a serious ethnographic inquiry into fields, journals, and scholars um, who exhibit varying commitments to these assumptions. They went on, these individuals went on. I mentioned them in the last show um, by name. You can find out more about them over at uh, over at New Discourses. But they the some of their studies included self-reflections on self-reflections in auto-ethnographic defense of auto-ethnography. That bugger got in, right? Like, self-reflection on self-reflection. And it's like, it's like, that's academic, that's scholarly. We're publishing that. Human reactions to rape culture and queer performativity at urban dog parks. And they're not talking humans, they're talking dogs. <laughs> they're saying, so human reactions to rape culture and queer performativity of dogs. And it was like they'd go and they said that they would talk to them and say, you know, how is it going? And it looks like this was not a, you know, there wasn't any kind of consent going on between that poodle and that Great Dane. And so they would talk to them and they'd document it supposedly as fake. I mean, it was like ridiculously fake what they did. Not true at all. Um, who are they to judge? Overcoming an uh, uh, anthropometry through fat bodybuilding. That's another one. So they, I mean, we're talking ridiculous things that if anybody heard that right out of the gate, most people would say, this is a joke. This is not real. Whoever this is, they are trolling the daylights out of this. But what they knew was that this language worked and they, and they pushed it. And the thing is, is within, what did it say? It said within a, it said within a year let me, let me go up here to find it because it said um, within the first year, oh, right here, in the 10 months before the Wall Street Journal outed the writers, James Lindsay, Helen Pluckrose, and Peter Bogosian, the trio had seven fake papers survive peer review in social justice-oriented scholarly journals, sufficient research productivity to earn tenure at most universities. Wow. So we're not talking just a joke. We're talking about people who were able to get enough 
research studies published in these journals it, that would have under ordinary circumstances, they could use that in ordinary circumstances and that would be sufficient for them to get tenure at a university. I, I wanted to just cut in really quickly and yeah. uh, get this comment from Logan Jackson, uh, which you just answered right there. I mean, there this fake experiment perfectly shows how much there's actually a ton of money behind this just total nonsense because they proved that it's nonsense because they made these fake papers. And then, uh, Paleo yeah. Crowd, I wanted, to, I wanted to quote your favorite commentary, Michael Matt from The Remnant. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, he says something very interesting. And I wanted your comment on this, Jeremiah. Yeah. He mentions about the midterms. He says that um, basically the Dems stirred up their uh, millennials and Gen Zers, perhaps, he quote, quoting Michael Matt, perhaps the most clueless generation in the history of this revolution. According to exit polls, had it not been for the 18 to 35 year olds, they would there would indeed have been a red wave. And then he says, forget Russia. If you want to learn something about manipulating election results, look no further than public school indoctrination camps. And totally. Yeah. Yeah. What are, I, that's what are your why thoughts on the influence of the midterms and this whole thing. Go ahead. Yeah. So that's one of the things that if you look and you say, well, what was the main motivating factor for the majority of people on the left? And you would have things that are grievance studies, things right like things that are wrapped up in that you would learn all about from your you know lesbian eskimo priestess with freckles and a wheelchair professor that professor would be talking about that constantly and just beating you senseless with it and and young people now i remember in look there was a good school it's a good school and it's in town here we at in, in grand rapids for people who don't know we have a school choice so in a public school, you can choose to go to different schools. You don't have to go to the one closest to you. And that's great, but it's just for the public schools. So you can choose different public schools. Well, the thing is, is that my kids went to one that was excellent, right? It was an awesome school, focused a lot on art. It was the theme school. So it focused a lot on art. There was music, theater, all that stuff is great. But Trump came around. Next thing you know, there's walkouts. It goes to like fifth grade. There's walkouts over the environment. There's walkouts over guns. There's walkouts over whatever. It's just all these all these things. There are posters being put around. Kids wearing rainbow flags saying they're gay walking around. And I thought to myself, and I was remember, I was an atheist, man. I wasn't even a Christian at the time. And I said, I can't, we can't do this. I didn't know what I was going to do. I was like, I'm, I, I told my wife, maybe we can homeschool or something. We got to do, we cannot do this. Because that means that from, from the youngest age forward, even if not every teacher, not every teacher at that school was doing that, it was the environment itself. It was the environment itself and it was the influence of enough of those teachers that it made that so that it became the experience that you have. You're, you're, you're saturated with it all around. It's part of the water, you know, you're a fish in the water, right? And that is that was a huge problem for me. And, and they were making it. So, I mean, just, as I said, it happened repeatedly, repeatedly, all, all these walkouts and stuff. And so all this activism, right. And blending it in even to the, some of the music. And it was, it was, it was sad, unfortunate, but we see this now. I'd say, I'd say that's one factor, but if it's any benefit, the kids are doing a terrible job of learning anything while they're there. So they're like, on the one hand, it's bad because they're learning sometimes this stuff, but on the other hand, their academics 
the way that they're studying it is they're it's trash. I mean, look at entrance level stuff for colleges, the remedial stuff. You go in there and you're like, you're like, how did this kid get in here? <laughs> like, how did he even get in ninth grade? You know, but he did and she did. And so I think we should not put as much emphasis on that as the environment that that's in as well. as, But even that, because, yeah, sure, they're there during the day. That is an influence on them. But they're heavily influenced by the kind of mediums that we use dramatically because we're, we are increasingly younger and younger and younger. Kids are exposing themselves to influences of larger pools of people. And those larger pools of people, TikTok, right? TikTok, you've got YouTube, you've got all these, all these different groups, television, of course. So you've got all these different groups and the, the things that used to influence them right? Spending time with parents, not so much anymore. They're all looking at their, their screens. Their, their schools with their teachers, not very much. They Teachers have no control. Like Jake mentioned, it's, it's really bad in public schools where you've got major time problems with phones out all the time. That's how we know of all the fights and stuff because they're recording it right there, in the, right, there in the, right there in the room. Teachers getting their butts whooped right there. So we know that that happens. So it's not, not even there. The, the teacher-student relation tells the relationship between the parents and the kids, toast. Relationship between the mom and the husband, toast. The, the church, the church itself, toast. Like you just look and you say all of these things that historically have provided the countermeasure to the cuckoo crazy nonsense that goes on in academia. Those things are super weak right now. They are impotent. In the face of this, they cannot, they, they, they lack the power to deal with this and they blame everything else. And I say, we have a lot we can do that we can't, we're not going to get into, you know, the education department <laughs> so easily, right? That, that bugger has, you know, people will say that they'll say, well, just run for the school board. Cause that's what, that's what the Marxists did. And you're like, yeah. And they started when there was like schoolhouse or church house schools. Right? There was no, there was no union. <laughs> like you, you went in and you were in this small little place. You know how easy that is to take over. It as compared to now, where you got to get state certified, licensed through a college and everything else, and that's that's dictated by a, a, a union that's connected to the largest bureaucracy in the country with enormous sums of cash. So I say, look, there are certain things. It's easy to blame that. It's true, easy to blame it, but. I think that there that and that is a factor. I'm not saying he's wrong. He know he knows this stuff. He's good about that. I might disagree with him on balkanize and persist, but I definitely don't disagree with him on the political stuff, right? So we're cool with that. But um with this, with these folks, right? This goes back further too. Cause a lot of people are only familiar with this because of stuff that came out like at Fox News, for example, like where uh while Trump was president, you started hearing this conversation come out about critical race theory and it was mainly the military and stuff like that and at in college because really that's what it is your your main your main places people ask where do they get jobs the main place they get their jobs man are going to be academia government media big corporate that's it how many people do you know at the barber shop care if you have yourself a, a grievance study degree how many people, the butcher, the baker, and the candlestick maker, they don't care. They have, it has no relevance at all to them. They're like, oh, no. But they're like, oh, no, it does. Oh, yes, it does. 
And they're, but they shoot themselves in the foot. And it's the last thing I'll say about all this stuff because I, I go on forever. And I already mentioned the Occupy Wall Street connection. I'm glad that they brought that up and said that that was the first major time event that involved, and they said the progressive stack. It was introduced there as a means to prioritize speakers based on innate traits. And this approach undermined egalitarianism and naturally favored special interests. I saw that because I was reporting on them, right? And then you have Elevator Gate, which is what led to the demise of new atheism. People want to know why new atheism is gone. You need to know what Elevator Gate is. If you don't know what that is, you don't, you really don't, or, or, or Atheism Plus. You don't know what happened. Why did the, why did the four horsemen disappear? Was it just because Dawkins had crappy arguments, <laughs> you know, or was it something else too? It was something else too. They, of course, mention Gamergate. Gamergate is another one of these things where you have this happen. That's where you start to see people like Milo Yiannopoulos start to really come around. And so you have you have these groups, but you know you look at them, um, you look at these people, <clears throat> and you say they were people were looking at this recently in the last I don't know four years or so, and they think that it's really just now coming along. It's actually been going on for a long time, and some of it started in ways that was not necessarily bad, that you could see that it was coming though. The idea, for example, of diversity is our strength. The first time that phrase was used, if I remember right, was in the late 80s. And it was, if I again remember correctly, is the New York Times. And so it was not like that was a phrase that people in the past, were like diversity is our strength. <laughs> like that's just not a thing that people said. And so this new thing, and when diversity came around, it was the idea that, you know what, we live in a world where there's all different people we just need to figure out a way to get along, right? And it, and it tapped into to old boy getting beat up, right? The the dude, was it the guy in the truck gets beat up? And he's like, can't we all just get along, right? Or it, was it Reginald Denny or whatever, right? So you have a situation culturally where it sparks this thing. Can we not just all get along? And it starts to, they, they grab a hold of something that may be otherwise, you know, um, uh, otherwise not too toxic, not too wicked and bad. And they use that and they, they, they kind of, they, they're like parasites. They, there's little sucker fish that get onto that thing and just leech on it and then take it over. And they take over the parasite takes over the infection spreads through the organism and it's toast. That happens with government, which is why, and this, this is what I was getting at. Uh, uh, what's his name? Kyrie Irving. Kyrie Irving, basketball player, one of the greatest, one of the greatest dribblers ever, right? Um, goes on and says that uh, he watched a documentary, and in this documentary, it was about the the black Hebrew Israelites or whatever, right? Talking about the the black people are the real Jews, sort of thing. Um, and he shared this documentary. Well, the NBA has made a rule: if he wants to come back, five hundred thousand dollars fine. He needs to take tolerance and diversity courses. He needs to meet with a rabbi at a synagogue uh, over there in Brooklyn. He needs to meet with the Anti-Defamation League, meet with them. And, and I think he all he did was retweet something. It yeah, was, he, re he tweeted he it. Said comment, it. As far as I know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's all he did. Dave, Dave so, Chappelle. Dave Chappelle has a great stand up mocking this whole situation, which is uh, God bless him for actually sticking his neck out. Uh, but they're but they're biting off more than they can chew yeah. because people people are going to say this this grievance thing they're going to go wait a second 
you know, he just tweeted something and you're saying $500,000 and he needs to sit in front of the owner of a basketball association, you know, your team and, and display to the owner satisfaction that he's learned and absorbed all of the terrible lessons from the grievance study specialist. What the heck is this? And people and basketball is a common man thing, right? So you're going to start to see people who may otherwise be like, oh man, I'm kind of down maybe a little. It might play to my interest. All of a sudden, they bit off more than they could chew. And it's going to be a kickback. They say, look, dude, this is trash. And they're going to learn more about it just because of this. So I'm not too, I don't have despair. But that's what I'd say about grievance studies. Yeah, it'll be interesting how that shakes out. Because I, I was, I mean, SNL allowed Dave Chappelle to completely mock that, which was shocking to me that they they even allowed that because obviously that challenged the entire grievance grievance regime in this in this in these United States. But uh, follower Cavazos, y'all got any thoughts? Go ahead, Nick. Man, I so. I think what's just insane about this is that I remember whenever I think I told you guys a bit of this story, but whenever I was going into college during my freshman year, we would have essentially right courses where it would just be, you know, essentially on the front of it, it would look like just a run of the mill, you know, core course that you had to take, right? Political science, history, something like that. And it would be cloaked in what paleocrats talking about in the sense that, you know, we would go into, say, for instance, history class, right? And rather than learning about, you know, early American civilization from, you know, the native times all the way up until, you know, 1776, you're going to be hearing about essentially um, each and every, if you will, really random oppressed group that you can possibly find in one way or another, right? And it's not just like the standard of like the objective things that were oppressive in the United States, like slavery or something like that. It's well, let's as let's just go and find <clears throat> this most rant as as Palocrat said something like yeah let's go and find like you know freckled face disabled queer black women da 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 and you're like this is a yeah, U.S. Yeah. course like what the heck um, but I remember this stuff <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I remember this stuff starting to be um, peddled believe it or not in high school uh, I remember starting to experience bits of these I'll tell this story just to illustrate I went to a, a private um, Protestant school go- growing up. Uh, I was homeschooled till eighth grade and then eighth grade through graduation. I was in this context of this private school. And uh, in one of my classes, I have this goes to show you how far it actually does prevail and influence society. I have inside of this, um, you know, uh, class, I'm, I'm taking this like wonderful Christian worldview class, right? It was just amazing, right? We talked about all kinds of like, um, apologetics and defense of faith, even even in that uh, Protestant context. But one day, right, one day we're, we're, we're talking about essentially man's inhumanity to man, right? You know, original sin and then there, you know, actual sins that flow out from that. And my teacher, right, who's this, who, you know, I perceive as this big conservative Calvinistic figure, right, in my life at this time, gets up and says with a completely straight face and then, and then expounds therefrom, she says, all of the problems in the world, right? When you look at like all the historical problems throughout time, as well as all the major problems now, can be traced back to white men. And this is yeah, a conservative, yeah, yeah. like Calvinistic private school in the Deep South. And I just remember, I guess this was like ninth, 10th grade or something like that. I just remember like looking 
<laughs> I remember I was like the only me and like one other boy were like the only men in the class in general, and we were both white. So I remember just kind of like looking at him, like, "What did she just say?" Like, "Huh?" Um, but this stuff continues, right? This stuff continues. And uh, last thing I'll say is this: when we look at the substance of the woke movement and these studies that many of them are parodies right um we go to see the insanity that's behind this right the true lack of reason that sound that's against this uh where we're no longer asking ourselves the questions of what is outside of me how can i take in this information through the senses how can i like look at this in comparative to human history um rather it is um truth comes from within myself right, in some form or fashion, and then let me uh, push that out, if you will, and alter reality itself, right? This is why, um, really, at the end of the, the, and all, the, the difference between good philosophy and bad philosophy really does come down to that basic difference of where does truth come from? Is truth something external to man that we take in, right? And we have to, uh, like a good scientist is going to be one who's trying to refute his own arguments, right? Or is it just, you know, I feel this way, therefore, let me push out, if you will, and influence the culture, the society that's around me. And so I think that what Catholics need to do, and I want to do a show on this eventually with you guys when we get to the end of this series, but I want to do a show specifically on how do we as Catholics respond? Because we can't do the whole, well, let's just stay inside of our houses and basically wait till the asteroid, right, <laughs> right? Yeah. is, is going to land. We have to go out. We have to take up ground. We actually have to make an impact. I'll give one example, and then I want to hear uh, your thoughts, Fowler. But so my friend group and I, right? I live in Central Texas, and around Central Texas, um, right? Just in Texas in general, right? Um, it's the only Southern state, right, of of the Deep South that actually has a, a Catholic majority, right? Um, and it's mainly due to the Hispanic population down here. Um, and so, but even with that, right, we have all of this crazy stuff, right? I live in a small town and we, we have a pride parade every year in the small town. We had our first drag show hour in this small town of like 2000 people this year. And so me and my friends, what we've chosen to do is we've said, okay, you know, you group of people, right? You go to this diocesan Latin mass, you know, I go to the cathedral. We have our Latin mass, SSPXers, you guys have your Latin mass. <clears throat> Let's all come together right? And let's invite Catholics of goodwill who don't go to the Latin Mass. Let's invite them along too. And then let us go to say the town square, right? Of these small towns. Let us go to where these things are uh, taking place, these abominations. And let's set up organic signs. Let's pray the rosary and let's take up space and actually do something to fight back against this insanity. That's what I encourage you, the viewer, to do. I mean, just network with friends, network with family and be like, it's not going to get any better sitting on your duff, right? We got to do something about it. And so, yeah, what are your thoughts, Mr. Fowler? Yeah, that yeah. brings up a good question to consider. It's just what do we do? Practical steps. Go ahead, Fowler. Yeah. Well, besides the um, the obvious practical step of prayer, right? That's uh, we say it. We 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 should continue to say it. It sort of gets. Oh yeah, of course, pray. No, really though, pray, mm -hmm. uh, and, and pray intentionally. Don't just pray you know, your, your general, uh, prayers. But if, if this is something that, that moves you, I don't see how it isn't or couldn't be, then make this a specific intention in your prayers. But beyond that, 
Um, so I, I want to kind of go back to something Jeremiah said, I don't know, two years ago. Uh, yeah, felt right. like two years as long as you were talking this morning. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> uh, no uh, the, um, the, the lack of the presence of the family, the, the lack of presence, the presence of the church in the home, and then the, the, the lack of what we would consider decent educational options for our children. And here, the, there are three things that we can immediately start plugging into and changing, first and foremost, in your own home. Do you have conversations about this with your children who are able to, you know, to grasp some of these concepts about what is a man? What is a woman? What's God's natural order of things? That's if you lay the groundwork, then when your children are exposed to this stuff later, they'll at least have some frame of reference and go, mm, that doesn't sound right. Um, yeah, Judith, see, Judith knows what I'm talking about right here. All right. What anyway. the? What are you talking about? No, no, nothing. Don't I was talking point. much. What? Don't prove your point. <laughs> Come on, Judith. Uh, he, he, we gave him the floor this morning. Actually, it was like his presentation. Uh, fair enough. Yeah. So, so welcome back to the. Uh, mm. <laughs> on my part. See, somebody always gets riled up. I tell you, I don't know what the problem. Uh, is. Terrible. Oh, the terrible. Blown up. It's blowing. Terrible. Um. So yeah, start starts in our own home. Don't be afraid to be a Catholic, and it, it's going to be countercultural. Like you're going to be ostracized in some way, even from people you may not have expected. Like like Nicholas is talking about his um, his professor, who he assumed was some you know conservative Christian, and then boom, oh, the white man's the problem. Um, not that white guys don't have their own problems, but it's not a silver bullet. So that that statement is obviously ridiculous. Um, so yeah, if you if you catechize your children and live a Catholic life, knowing full well what probably will happen to you, that's step one. Um, allow the church to have the authority that it's supposed to have in your home. You know, um, read spiritual reading, read your scriptures, go to mass, uh, participate in the devotional life in, in the uh, in the liturgy of the hours of the divine office, frequent the sacraments. And so immerse yourself and your children in that reality as well. And then third, um, it, it's not a lost cause to go be a teacher, right? I'm, I'm example number one. I left law enforcement because when I started, I thought, oh, this is going to be a great way for me to help uh, serve the community and maybe make some you know positive impact in the lives of people. And I would frequently encounter... Uh, I mean, I think the most afflicted age range for crime is like 17 to 30. Don't quote me on that because I don't spend my time reading sociological studies. But in my general experience, those are the people that I encountered the most with um, problems like with drugs or stealing, violence, uh, just different, you know, different things. And then I realized, wow, as a policeman... I'm already too late. Like this problem needed to have right. been solved right. 10 years ago, five years ago, whatever. So I thought, well, okay, where are these people five and 10 years before? Well, they're in school. So if I really do want to make a difference, then I need to be in schools and not like some dare officer where the guy shows up with the, you know, he hands out candy or something. Um, 
Uh, I that, need that was to a be 90s a teacher. joke. Shout out to the millennials. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I thought, well, I need to be a teacher. And I, I, I encountered all the people that, that we've described, the people that, um, that not, not as much in Catholic schools, at least not the one I was at before and not the one that I'm at now. Um, but, you know, you interact with others, you network, you kind of hear stories, people been at different schools and they come together and um, it's not good. Um, but I will say that it's not, um, it's not a lost cause. And so if, especially if you're a young man, don't be afraid of considering education as, uh, as a viable option. And the reason I mention all this is because, you know, to kind of tie it all together, once you start to chip away at the facade that is um, whatever grievance study theory, you will actually reach people because it doesn't take long to expose what a farce it actually is. And if you're uh, a relatively clear-headed thinker and you have your basic catechism, you'll be fine, right? Because that's we're, we're not made for falsehood. There's something in our nature that's open to the truth. And so when you hear truth, it resonates. And, uh, you know, this, again, this is sort of my project with my students and all other teachers of good faith. This is what we're supposed to do. Parents, this is what we're supposed to do. Reach that element that's inside of, of, of children that, that God put there and just lead them. You know, you can't um, force them to believe it, but you can walk them right up to the door of the truth. And nine times out of 10, I would say, if that's done effectively, they're sold. So again, it's not totally. a lost cause. And I think that, that um, this, this will come and go because people will start to see through it and others will be, become more influential, particularly parents. Yeah, I, 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 that's absolutely here, here. Uh, parents become a teacher, <laughs> um, homeschool co-ops. But I, I wanted to highlight San Luis here father because in terms of public action this has got to be the most beautiful thing mm. the most beautiful mm -hmm. reaction to cancel culture i've ever seen which is if you don't know the story uh, i think it was in 2020 there was a marxist he was a mohammedan actually who was like i don't know this dude in in st louis who was leading this charge against uh, the statue of st louis but we don't have to get into that the point is there was a there was a cancel a cancel attempt to topple the statue of St. Louis in St. Louis, just as they were toppling statues all over the place. Mm -hmm. They somehow, uh, it's just so stupid. And they, they wanted to, to rename about. the city also. Yeah, I mean, we don't have to talk about how dumb it was. But let's look at this amazing uh, reaction to this. And Father, I want you to tell us about this. This is, this is the most latest article on the most latest procession. They have a whole patronal procession. Uh, the Catholics show up and... This is our this is our public. This should be our public reaction to the Marxist insanity. I, I love it. So, uh, Father, tell us about uh, the reaction of the San Luians to the Marxists in this. Well, first of all, kudos to Miss Kalinowska for yes. writing the article. I, you sent it to me. I read it. I thought she did an amazing job describing it in exceedingly thorough detail. So, Anna, um, if you happen to see this episode of Our Lady of Victory Morning Show, um, kudos to you hats off to you 
for one, I'm I'm kind of sitting in the same boat as uh, Whittington in the chat here thinking, oh, my gosh, look at all these people that are friends of mine that I see every week. Uh, so sadly, I wasn't able to be there this year. Um, but in 2020, our pastor, who's pictured above, uh, let's see, he there, uh, there he is. He's he's the fellow with the Beretta and the uh, magenta looking palm on top. Walking behind, I think that's Canon Cogshell from St. Francis de Sales Oratory. Um, so Monsignor Morris and some others organized a, uh, well, it's a festival. It's a festival of St. Louis, the patron of our city. And so there's uh, the divine office, mass, benediction, and then a procession about two miles, a little under two miles from the Oratory of Saints Gregory and Augustine to the Apotheosis of St. Louis, which stands on top of Art Hill in Forest Park, which is in the city. So it's, it's there it is. Uh, it's not quite two miles and it's a pleasant walk typically, although late August in St. Louis is usually somewhat uncomfortable. And so uh, once the um, pilgrims arrive at the statue, then a 15-decade rosary ensues, followed by a giant party. Um, it, it, the first year, it was a little, uh, it was a pretty big gathering. The second year was even more. We had a, a police escort blocking off roads. We were just walking right down some pretty main roads. I mean, for some of it, we were on the sidewalk, just as a courtesy. But in other parts, you know, we didn't all fit on the sidewalk, so you had to walk on the street. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. And last year, like I said, I, uh, circumstances prevented my attendance. So I'm not sure how large the crowd was. looks pretty big from these photos, but it was a, a way to publicly be a Catholic without being obnoxious, right? We could go stand on the street corner with a bullhorn and yell at people that they're going to hell, or we can just carry a relic of St. Louis and a statue of Our Lady, pray the rosary, have a bunch of sandwiches and ice cream and, and a, a jolly good time with some of our peers. And so we, we chose the latter. Uh, and I say we loosely. I had nothing to do with the planning. I'm just happy to be a participant some of the time. Uh, and I, let, me, let me just put this up here just so everybody knows how extensive this really was. And is every year. I mean, this is this is a model for every single city. I mean, this is so beautiful. Every yeah. single city needs to. I mean, I, I think of um, like teaching my kids about the like our 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 my city was founded by Catholics. In fact, uh, Catholic Métis. Uh, we need to have an annual uh, celebration of the founding of my city with the Catholic involvement. But take a look at this. So here's. They have uh, St. Louis Eve, First Vespers, Rosary. They've got the whole divine office, Prime, uh, Solemn Mass, Second Vespers, Eucharistic Adoration, and then the procession. And then there was a the the relic that you there was a, the relic of St. Louis, mm -hmm. and there's a special I forgot the term for it, but there's a special reliquary um, reliquary that's used in processions that was made for this relic. Um, but this is the whole look at look at how extensive this is. So shout out yeah. to Monsignor Morris and all the organizers of this and uh, Miss Kolonovska, uh, who really just pulled out all the stops. I mean, this is 
non-Catholics could appreciate this because it's just beautiful. I mean, yeah. just yep. the beauty of this. Absolutely. Uh, and there's uh, one more um, hat tip that needs to be said. So not only did we have uh, the divine office, but one of the members of our parish is on a board of something medieval in Europe. And he has uh, he had reached out to some of his peers, his contacts, and acquired from a medieval archive the divine office and the mass that was written for oh, St. Yeah. Louis the Ninth. I was trying to get, I forgot about that. Yeah, go ahead. So uh, they, uh, this mass hasn't been, hadn't been said for like 700 years. Yeah, this is uh, uh, after right here. after uh, Louis's death. The church didn't just give him the the generic, like it says here, no generic confessor confessor matins for us. Like the church had written a specific uh, liturgy for this most Catholic king of France, and so that was what was used. Uh, the chants are a little different, you know. The prayers are all quite specific, and it's it was an amazing effort uh, of not only resourcing, talk about ressourcement, resourcing these medieval, um, uh, I don't even know what to call them, uh, these these um, originals, and then getting them copied in such a way that it could be distributed to the Scola so they could learn the chants. It was just an amazing effort. Uh, and so hat tip to Mr. Stan Matheny for coordinating that. Oh, it's it's just awesome! It's so inspiring. Here's the here's the um, the, that reliquary that was specially made for this whole thing. Um, I mean, it, it's just fantastic. I mean, this needs to be this need to be copied in every major city in the world. I mean, let's go for it. <laughs> Anyways, final comments, gentlemen. Anybody else? We got five minutes left. Okay, I'll go. I'm not saying a word. I'm not saying anything. Never again. <laughs> you jerks. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so I, I want to go back to um, the the influence that, that teachers have. And I don't just mean uh, teachers employed by schools, but any older person can be a teacher of younger people. And so yeah, um, if yeah. you're married and have children, obviously you are the teacher of your children. If you're just like nicholas for example as far as i know nick you're not married don't have kids that doesn't stop you from being an influence in the life of some young man at your parish when when some nine-year-old sees you praying intently at mass he didn't realize that he learned from that right uh and, and the same goes for for all the rest of us in whatever state in life so uh again we're made for the truth and for the good and when people see that in us even if we never realize that they see it in us that's doing some good. So be a Catholic, right? That's the long and the short of it. Just be a Catholic. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. yeah, just prioritizing the next generation. I, I loved what you said uh, today, Fowler. Just we need to really prioritize the next generation. Uh, obviously, first as parents, but second as, you know, everybody can help out at the parish with the younger generation. It's so critical that we focus on the younger generation. We form them. We protect them from the Marxists. And then they become unstoppable. I mean, you know, when you everybody knows children who were formed in a good household, they're they're just on fire. 
and they come around and, and they just just start kicking butt and taking names with all this nonsense so i um i yeah, did when i when i was doing the show on holy faith media i had an episode where i i snapped and it was i was all i was covering was stuff like this right and i totally snapped flipped out and i was like and i was i was crying i said we, we can't do this anymore i'm like you know we've been let down left and right and i i stepped away for a while and just really thought like what am i doing that's making a difference not just hot takes and reactions because that's easy to do you know what i mean like it's not it's not hard to make fun of stuff that's ridiculous like by definition it's you can ridicule that so it's not hard what's hard is saying how did we get here what is here how do we get out of here right and how do we not only survive but thrive and when thinking those things through that helped to form my decisions to make different series and that's why I did enthusiasm to say religiously, how did we get here? What's the path? Secular age, what's the path politically, philosophically, culturally regarding even things down to etiquette? You know, things like that that played a role in the development of, of social imaginaries. What is that? What is that language? What does it mean? And talking about that, let's the Lassant series, getting back to the ABCs and one, two, threes of our faith for Johnny Q and Sally Sue sitting in Catholic Pew stuff and saying those things together marching forward and then to teach people instead of saying well let's go after them one by one by one that is important i'm grateful for all the stuff that they do over at uh new discourses grateful for all that um but getting down to the debates over whether you need god for knowledge at all um and because they claim to know a lot of stuff <laughs> and, and everything else and you say yeah without god you can't even know anything that the role that that god plays within this within that um, and, and driving it back to those things that they can't get around. They take for granted even in talking to you and focusing on that because otherwise it's like the rap battle where you're just going one, 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 playing whack-a-mole all day long with these people. And they're just going to, they do it all the time. And I said, you got to get to the things that we share and the things that they can't avoid because they're engaging and talking to me is assuming it and taking it for granted, meaning they can't get around it. And so if I focus on those things, then it's like pulling rugs out from beneath their feet. And then just simply after that, things like processions, things like activism, running for office, doing different, being a delegate, all those things, those flow from that because those flow from your heart, your mind, your culture, and your home, and then extend it out from that. So if you get that settled first, and like that procession is that procession because those people are in it and those people have hearts with God in it and minds with God in it. And those people are fleshing that out through their action. And so we need to get to that. And if we can get to that, then the rest proceeds. Excellent. Well, with yeah. that, let's, uh, let's ask our lady to help us do this. Let's go out and do these very things in all of our major cities, all of our families. It's Monday on the last week of Pentecost and the second coming is coming. <laughs> The, our particular judgment is going to come when we die. Uh, my my priest preached an amazing sermon yesterday and talked about how uh, purgatory is when you realize how much more you could have done when you die. How much more could you have done right now? Think about it. Let's ask Our Lady to help us, and we'll invoke our patrons at Meaning of Catholic. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. 
Blessed art thou among women. Blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Our Lady of Victory, pray for us. Mary, Queen of the Home, pray for pray us. St. Joseph, Terror of Demons, pray for pray us. St. Anthony of the Desert, pray for all clergy and seminarians. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Jesus Amen. is King. Amen.